Welcome back to Don't Punt to Geo, your football show on the Tar Heel Blog Podcast, hosted by TarHillBlog.com and the SB Nation Podcast Network. My name is Chad Floyd. I'm joined by our good friend Jacob Cowden to break down Carolina's heartbreaking and heartwarming loss to Clemson on Saturday. Jacob, how are you? I'm good. Rewatching the game as we speak for the, I think, the fourth time. Just enjoying life. Yeah, um, life sounds pretty good for you right now. You told me off air that you're going to play some golf today. I'm a little bit jealous. Uh, we're sitting here. It's about 11 o'clock on the East Coast on a Tuesday. This was the time that I had, and I had to skip a meeting to do it. So, um, Jacob, I'd say let's get right into it because I got a chance to rewatch the game finally last night. Big elephant in the room, the two-point conversion. Uh, you know, obviously the Heels had a chance to – take the lead with a minute to go and force Clemson to drive back down and uh, maybe kick a field goal for the win. Unfortunately, it did not work out. Um, a little speed triple option uh, to the right side was kind of sniffed out by Clemson. Uh, what were your thoughts on the play call? What were your thoughts on going for two in the first place? I think going for two, absolutely the right call. You know, just I think you're the underdog at home situation. The chances are higher on making it one play than dragging it out into overtime where there's more room for variation. I don't mind the play call. I think it's similar to the Seattle play in the Super Bowl where Russell Wilson threw the interception and everyone dogs on it, where if you go back to the situation, throwing wasn't really that bad of a call. Uh, so I think, like, if they get it, for example, nobody's talking about, oh, they shouldn't run the, the speed option or the triple option. I would have liked to see some sort of pass element as an option, even if they run the option, like have Corrales maybe on a route and, instead of blocking. But other than that, um, I don't mind the call at all, especially going for two is the right call in my opinion. Yeah, um, well, you, you and I are the only people that agree on that, I think. Um, I did not bring you on just to have us agree on everything. Um, so just uh, suffice it to say, the rest of the Tar Heel blog Slack channel was kind of against the call. My thing is this, I mean, you need variables there because Clemson, I mean, you can't let Clemson just defend a fade route when they have ranging cornerbacks and everything like that. Um, I honestly thought the dive play was there, but you can't really rely on that. And I understand how pulling the ball there. Um, what you said about the pass option attachment is kind of my complaint. I think Carl Tucker was that option, you know, almost in like a Tim Tebow jump pass type situation. But he uh, got kind of overwhelmed. There were basically two defenders that he had to account for just with the way Clemson defended it, and he never uh, got off the line of scrimmage. So, you know, um, scared money don't make money, Jacob. And unfortunately uh, for, for the Tar Heels, uh, even good money didn't uh, work out there. But I'm not super mad about the call. Um, they, the Heels had been showing that jet action a lot, especially early in the game. Uh, they actually had the exact same look on the fourth and one that uh, Sam Howell ran for the first down with about six minutes to go. I mean, there, there's no reason to think that that play wasn't there except for Davis Swinney and Brent Venables after the game saying, yeah, we kind of had a feeling that was coming. Yeah, I noticed that in Davos' post-game interview um, on the field. He said, like, we, th we knew they were going to go for it and we thought it'd be some sort of an option play. And the problem with Clemson's defense is so fast and so talented. So any play call is going to be difficult no matter what you run. So the speed option, it does give you multiple options. It just it didn't work out, but I still think it was the right play call, even though 
it didn't work out based on what you said the offense was doing, uh, Clemson's defense, and I, yeah, I like maybe a little little bit different as far as the pass option, like a instead of the triple option, like an RPO or something like that would have been maybe my go-to. Like on two-point conversions, when the quarterbacks roll to the right, I was like a receiver in the front of the end zone, receiver in the back of the end zone. He can still run it in. I think that's just the easiest way, gives you the most options in that like three yards to go situation. But I don't mind the play call at all. Um, I think – Overtime, it's a lot harder to win, like because you beat Clemson, you outplayed them for sixty minutes, and then asking them to outplay them in overtime is just a lot based on their talent and North Carolina's talent at the end of the day. So I like going for two, the, the just win or lose. And I think even though they did lost, Mac Brown just trusted his guys to win, and I think that's you don't want just a moral victory, but that's as good as a lot it feels different than the the other two losses Carolina had for sure yeah and at the end of the day the Hills are 11 points away from being 5-0 and and they're eight points away from being 0-5 so you know the variability is definitely there and you're absolutely right that if you take the game to overtime basically you're asking a very thin defense to continue to stymie Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence and three NFL receivers and still relying on your offense to score, as opposed to, you know, running one 50-50 play against Clemson's defense that's been on the field for the last eight and a half minutes of the game. So you're, you're absolutely not going to hear me dispute that. Um, you know, just didn't work out, but I think you're, you're right. It's one of the more encouraging losses I think you can possibly imagine. Uh, I know you've got notes, especially if you're watching the game for the fourth time. Uh, what else did you see with the offense that you wanted to harp on? Oh, I thought uh, Javante Williams, this is more of a season thing than Clemson specific, but he's been the most pleasant surprise with for the last two years, specifically last year. I remember in that Cal game last year, I didn't really even know about him the first game of the season last year as a true freshman. He popped a little bit, and he just runs violently, runs physically. Um, so th- he was um, my, my guy, and also Daz Newsom's, first touchdown was the identical route he ran against Miami on that uh, hitch and go route that he scored on against Miami. And he was literally calling for the ball before the snap. So I don't know what he saw. If he saw a safety rotate or something, but that hitch and go route down the re- left sidelines really working for Newsom or sorry, uh, John Brown. Brown I yeah. 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 I, I was going to let you finish, but um, yeah. Uh, Clemson definitely rolled the safeties on to, uh, I, I think the heels were trips, right? If you include uh, Carl Tucker and, I mean, that, that's just good play design because Howell looked it off and then made the throw and he put it on the absolute money. And, you know, there, there was a lot of that from Howell. Um, you know, he can really affect the eye discipline of DBs, I'm finding. Um, the second touchdown, too, where he where the broken play went to Bo Corrales, I mean, that that's just, you know, we talk about the Baker Mayfield and Johnny Manziel comps. That's what they did so well is – knowing where the receivers are, and even if you're kind of caught up in the wash, knowing where to dump the ball. Um, again, on the almost game-tying drive, um, very similar. He went through his reads to the left and then found uh, Toe Groves right behind the umpire. So, I mean, Howell is growing before our eyes, and that's really encouraging. And I kind of went back and forth when I was rewatching the game on this, on this topic last night, but all of his throws to the middle of the field were low. 
I don't know if that's by design just to make sure, you know, he didn't have a tip ball interception, but did you kind of notice that as well? Do you think that's uh, by design or do you think he's just not quite comfortable throwing between the hashes yet? I don't, yeah, I noticed it because like the gross play just came up on my TV actually. So yeah, I'm definitely noticing it. I honestly didn't even think about it. I just thought like I was like missing low on those throws. So I didn't, I haven't put too much thought into if he's doing it on purpose, but maybe, maybe Phil Longo's like, hey, like their safeties are, are ball hawks, they're athletic. So if you're going to miss, miss low. And maybe that was, that was part of the game plan. I, I didn't think about that though, to be honest. Yeah, and there were a couple of uh, tip balls that Clemson could have made a play on. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll bring we shift to the defense. We'll harp on this more. But Clemson definitely left some points on the field. So the Heels might have been lucky to be in the game. But at the end of the day, I mean, you're, you're right about Javante Williams. Um, De'Ami Brown is emerging as a true number one threat. Uh, you know, the, the, the two drops I just referenced, though, were him after he uh, got hurt and then came back. So I didn't know if uh, he was still being affected by whatever kind of wrist injury or whatever he had. Um, the other thing I noticed is that the offensive line, you know, where I think Phil Longo said either last week or a couple of weeks ago that they were kind of trying to oversimplify things on the offensive line. I saw a lot of creative movement, um, you know, kind of to run counters, to get the ball uh, to outside zone, which is really where Carolina made their hay on the running game. Um, you know, they had guys pulling in both directions and really just confusing Clemson's defense. But that was encouraging to see. Um, did you see anything else from the O-line play that was uh, worth mentioning? Not, No, yeah, I saw, like, I thought Marcus McKeithen, he's become my favorite offensive lineman, did a great job. And, and both backs, Carter and Javante Williams, I thought did a great job reading the blocks and were patient running the ball. Um, and they had more success getting outside than, than in the middle, I I think. But um, so, yeah, just running like right behind the tackles. But so nothing to add, but but I noticed that and I thought the backs did a great job of reading that as well. Yeah, my only complaint, and this almost goes to the don't call out players, but the Brian Anderson snap infractions have got to stop. Um Almost killed the second touchdown drive. Just uh, he he was late on the snap on the silent snap count going into the blue zone, and then there was another one later. Um, you know, putting us behind the chains a couple of times, and the second one was when Carolina was kind of in a lull in the third quarter. Need to clean that up still, but overall, I'm encouraged with the offensive line. Um, I, I know, you know, I I did the post last week just stating how young this whole offense was and to see them come out and play competently against that defense is awesome. Yeah. Cause we talked, we, how talented, you know, their linebacker is Isaiah Simmons, the entire defense, how talented they are and uh, how did really well um, as we, we mentioned. So I honestly like watching the game, it like, it's not surprising what they're doing is working, but before the game, no one thought it was going to be, be like that at all. So very, very thrilled. Yeah, absolutely. And let's see, I, I had another thought there, but I lost it somewhere. Um, I'm, I'm going through my notes again. Oh, yeah. On Isaiah Simmons, I know he's, uh, he's, he's one of the guys that you love to watch. In person, I don't know how you get a ball anywhere near him because he would absolutely violate the fingertip rule if he were still in high school. 
um, because his arms are, I mean, they go past his knees. And at 6'4", I mean, he, he, he's basically like, like Mo Bamba, except extremely athletic and playing linebacker. It's, it, it was kind of jarring to watch in person how good he is. Yeah, some, like, because I mentioned he, he played safety before, and when usually safeties move to linebacker, it means it's because they're slow, and, and he just got bigger, but he could legitimately play safety or linebacker in the NFL, and he has the speed and size to do either one, where more normally it's when you do a position switch is because you're, you're slow and undersized. But Yeah, the, the other thing with Isaiah Simmons, too, is going back to Javante Williams, Javante Williams fell forward on every play but one, and – that was when uh, Simmons was uh, blitzing from from the outside and absolutely leveled him before uh, helping clean up Sam Howell. Um, just an overall just freak. I mean, he's he's excellent. So he was a lot of fun to watch on Saturday, despite me cheering against him. Let's move on to the defense. Um, talking about kind of exceeding expectations, I want to start with the linebacking core because Chaz Surratt was awesome. Uh, he and Jeremiah Gimmel all of a sudden started tackling through people. And it was a lot of fun to watch them fly around. Um, the two of them and Dominique Ross, they were asked to cover Amari Rogers and T. Higgins in the slot a lot. And Clemson was still never really able to create consistent rhythm in the passing game. So what did you see from the from the backers? Yeah, I was really impressed. I was watching the film and Surratt or Dominique Ross would make a tackle and I'd have to rewind it like a bunch. So like, where where did they come from? And because I didn't realize they were like playing in the slot as much as they were when I was just watching it live the first time. So I thought they did a great job. And those were my notes. Like, Chas Surratt played the game of the year for him. And I think Ross might be the... Uh, I didn't have the side hopes. I don't want to take away from the defensive tackles, but I think Ross might be the best defensive player so far for Carolina as far as like the whole year is concerned. So yeah, all of them played fantastic. And I think because the safeties brought a lot of pressure, so the linebackers had to cover the slot and they did a lot of zone coverage as well. But I, that was, I think, the best position group, offense or defense with the linebackers. Yeah, and... As you and I have kind of said, that 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 was what we had highlighted as the problem spot for a while, but they really uh, stepped up and showed us something on Saturday. Um, kind of the, the other negative note I had on that, because, you know, everything's a little bit of give and take here, is they've got to start finishing sacks. Uh, Surratt got the one um, early in the second quarter, but other than that, uh, there was a third and nine where Miles Dorn missed a sack, Clemson scored on – I think actually that play. Um, and then there was another missed sack leading to a touchdown in the fourth quarter. So, you know, if, the, if there's anything to complain about, I mean, they're still learning a new scheme. They're still kind of relearning how to play from kind of a base fundamental level. So I'm not going to really hold that against them. But if Carolina had cleaned up those sacks, I think they're probably winning. I, I think we're talking about UNC win. Yeah, you know, for sure. And that was – Miles Dorn, like he, I noticed that was one thing I noted that I didn't really notice in the other games. So I think it was Clemson specific as far as the game plan. But they sent Dorn from space, like like eight to twelve yards, like he'd bring, he'd bring pressure, and that forced the linebackers into coverage. And a couple times he got there, confused Trevor Lawrence because you normally safeties aren't coming from that deep. But you know, the chance he did have, he did miss the tackle. So, did a good job of confusing him, but missed the tackles there as far as mild door and the safety pressure. But 
thought it was an interesting game plan, and I wouldn't have thought of it, but I liked it once we were doing it. Yeah, what I thought it was was just the evolution of uh, Jay Bateman's scheme because you saw a lot of that, uh, some of the pressure, some of the pressure from deep uh, when he was at Army. First time we've really uh, gotten to take a good look at that was really today. So I, I don't know if, uh, or was the Clemson game. So I don't know if maybe he went a little bit vanilla in the first four weeks to kind of hide a few things that they could uh, unveil against Clemson. Um, I would argue that when you're playing, you know, four close games in a row, maybe you don't go vanilla. But it also could just be uh, the players getting a little bit more comfortable with what they're doing and being able to add some wrinkles. Yeah, because the biggest issue I think has been, you know, missed sacks and overall missed tackles for the defense. And also we talked a lot of the, not a lot, but some of the the open passing lines have just been because of miscommunication. When you're playing that much zone, I still don't feel like the the linebacker and the secondary together have a 10 out of 10 feel for who's bumping who, who's in what zone, things like that. And that created some open passing lanes for Clemson. But they're definitely getting better and more comfortable. And I think you saw that on Saturday. And the blitzes are getting more creative as well. So I think that's going to be something we continue to see. And I think we'll see some more corner pressure as well. But when I talked to Patrice Renee in the offseason, that's one thing he mentioned is there's going to be some corner blitzes involved. So that's something uh, I'm going to look for the second half of the year. Yeah, and part, and part of the reason we might not have seen that yet is with Renee out, you are relying on a lot of youth and inexperience. Um, Storm Duck played his most snaps of the season at corner. Uh, both And Cameron Kelly, I uh, hope he's okay, by the way. It looked like a pretty nasty knee injury. They took uh, tackling Trevor Lawrence in the fourth quarter. He played very well. Um, you know, he, he made one missed assignment against Appalachian State, but he played a clean game on Saturday. And then Don Chapman, uh, he, he's played on special teams all four games, but he was in there late in the second quarter at safety, which I kind of had him peg more as a corner. So you're talking about three fresh, true freshman defensive backs out there against the number one team in the country, and they held their own. And there's basically nobody on the field that I identify as a complete liability on this team, and that's really amazing just uh, from where we were a month ago, just uh, with our negativity coming into the season. Um, what, what else do you have on this one? Because I've got a couple of closing thoughts, but I, I want to take it to you first because I kind of uh, dictated some of the talking points there. No, yeah, I, I'm just looking through. I think I want to talk about the safety pressure um, and then missed, missed tackles, missed assignments on defense as far as the secondary goes. Um, I think those are most of my notes. I, you want to talk about the defensive line, like the, the slants? Is that one thing you want to mention? Yes, yes. Um, I'm, I'm way down at the bottom of my notes, but I, I sent you I sent you what I had last night, and this is a little inside baseball, but my first three notes were on the slants that the, that the defensive line was running to create tackling lanes for the linebackers. And we would probably be remiss not to mention that because the, we said the linebackers had a great game. Um the assignment for Aaron Crawford and Jason Strobridge was strictly to confuse what Clemson was doing and allow the linebackers to run free and clean up the running game. So I, I thought that was kind of step one to the plan. Step two is, you know, freeing up the linebackers like that does not allow Travis Etienne to explode for a 70-yard game. And they were still running the two safeties deep for most of the game. So you also took away the deep ball. Um they really tried to force Trevor Lawrence to beat them, one, with his 
with his legs, which he did a great job of, and two in intermediate routes, which I've got to say, man, he did not really do. So, I don't know. It, it, it was a beautiful defensive game plan. But uh, what would you see from the D-line? Because I, I, I will say I thought Alan Cater was the defensive player of the game. Yeah, well, this this is going to sound oversimplistic, and everybody listening is going to be like, no, no, duh. But the the defense, if you, you want to bring as much pressure with as few people as possible, so there's as many people back in coverage, and I know that's oversimplistic, but like that's just what it is. So if you if you're bringing pressure, if you're bringing seven, it's because your defensive line isn't being able to generate pressure themselves. And I'm I just watched the uh, Trevor Lawrence sack that Chester I had just came on. Crawford took took the tackle away and the guard away, and then Tamon Fox also like took the tackle as well. Which like Shasrat, no one touched him just because the the communication on the offensive line was was confusing. The article I wrote regarding a couple weeks ago when we played Miami about their linebackers, I talked about that's something Miami's front seven does really well is they confuse uh, post snap. They like confuse where they're coming from, so the offensive line. It's hard to communicate in under two seconds when you got a bunch of guys coming at you. So the yeah, defensive line did a great job. I, I'm looking for it the from last night once you sent me that because I didn't look. I was more looking at the secondary and the, the outside guys, but now I'm watching it right now and I and last night and yeah, they did a really great job just confusing the offensive line, like uh, filling up offensive line, like taking on two guys as well. And uh, they played as good a game the. Honestly, the defense, like despite the mistakes, they played as good a game as you could. And Lawrence missed a couple throws low too, like we were talking about Sam Howell was doing. Yeah, and a lot of that is where the pressure came from. And, you know, those slants allowed the linebackers to kind of come clean through the A-gap, which all of a sudden you have pressure in your face, you're throwing off the back foot. That's going to lead to some low throws, uh, to some miscommunication. And Really, the only time it didn't work was when Clemson went zone read. The A the gap pressure was there, and Lawrence pulled it and uh, ran it for you know eight to ten to twelve yards a few times. So I mean, just really exceptional work. Uh, the Heels had seven quarterback hurries, and like I said, just the one sack. But um, all of that came from Aaron Crawford had one quarterback hurry. The rest of them all came from the linebacking core with uh, Timon Fox with one, Surratt with three, and then uh, Gimmel and Ross with one. So, I mean, you know, a lot of kind of what we saw rewatching the game is what played out on the field. So, you know, credit to you, good sir. To my cap. Um, Jacob, one more, one more thing I wanted to touch on was – a little bit of Greg McElroy appreciation. Uh, he mentioned multiple times how injured the Hills were. Um, didn't really go into specifics with names, but talked about the offensive line, uh, the secondary being really thin, and the defensive front. Uh, Jason Strobridge, he said he was basically the walking wounded. He was making some excuses for us, and the Hills were still within one point. Um, how do you feel the national perception is shifting around this uh, Tar Heel program? Yeah, I think well the two wins they had were the in the well the Carolina game was on ABC against South Carolina. This game was on ABC, so getting a ton of viewers. The Miami game I think was a primetime game, but if not, it's yeah. just it's University of Miami was so gonna get a lot of viewers. Um I think people expected it to be a down year and they start off with a couple big wins. Take there was it was a down week in college football as far as like big games. So North Carolina was all over Sports Center, all over Fox Sports, whatever taking Carolina to, or taking Clemson to the wire. So I think it's, you know, people are 
even though they're two and three around the country, it's one of the highest regarded two and three teams just because of the high profile wins and even this Clemson loss that they had. Yeah. And really they have not had a game where you can just go in expecting to win. You know, you don't have your Mercers on the schedule yet. You don't even have like a Louisiana Monroe on the schedule yet. Um, It has all been power five or power five esque uh, competition because I, I would argue that app state could go six and six in the ACC. So, you know, really, I mean, they might be the best team they've played. That's not Clemson. I think it's possible, possible at least. Yeah, it could be. Um, I'm a little bit down on Wake Forest after uh, they struggled with Boston College, but you know, South Carolina will probably right the ship a little bit. Uh, I think they beat Kentucky. I still think Miami is a nine or ten win team. So the heels, fortunately, have the schedule lightening up a little bit. Go to Georgia Tech, then they have a bye week, then they come back and play at Virginia Tech. I wouldn't have written those in as you know what should be sure wins. And really, my only question becomes. Do the heels play up or down to their competition, or do they come out and uh, put their foot on the throat for the next two games? But there's a real opportunity for the UNC football program here. Yeah, and Virginia Tech looked looked terrible against Duke, and I think Duke is the next game after Virginia Tech. So the next three three games next month of the schedule are huge as far as if they're going to be a factor in the Coastal or not and where this, this program is going. Yeah, and it would set up for a huge game against Virginia. But, uh, you know, you, you can't go 3-0 and without going 1-0. and So we'll worry about Georgia Tech later on in the week. But, uh, Jacob, what do you have coming to TarHillBlog.com this week? So this week I, I actually have something planned. Uh, I got the the quest for six. I've run just bold eligibility, big picture, why should be the goal for this team. And, and we won it before the season – if we said they were two and three after the Clemson game, they're in great shape, and they are. So just kind of a breakdown on on the odds of getting to the bowl game. Week after that, I'm doing the uniform rankings during the bye week, ranking the ACC uniforms, which I'm excited about. And I, I know we've uh, discussed that offline a little bit. I've got I, – I, I will have some rebuttals for you once that posts. Um, as for me, we're podcasting, uh, hoping to have a basketball commitment um, – podcast here later this week we'll see what Caleb Love does uh today as we record this on Tuesday and we will be back to go ahead and preview Georgia Tech at some point this week so Jacob I appreciate you joining me listeners I appreciate y'all listening if you found us don't lose us go ahead subscribe on whatever app you're listening to this podcast on right now leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and I will read that on the air until next time we wish we could have uh, done this with a 22 to 21 victory, but it's still more fun to uh, be competitive against the number one team in the country than not to be. Keep it locked and go, Gibbs.